Let me invite you to open your Bibles to the 28th chapter of the book of Acts. This will be, far as I know, the last sermon I will preach from the book of Acts. Uh, by the way, I have about 16 excellent commentaries for sale, if you want to buy one. No, I, I always keep three or four that I fell in love with through the process, but that makes about 12 that I'm, I'm willing to sell. But uh, that is a joke, by the way. Don't even think about it. Uh, so we're going to begin reading in chapter 28. I just want to go back just for a quick second to look in chapter 1 because this is really, in a nutshell, what the whole book of Acts is about. Uh, you remember when uh, Jesus ascended, uh, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, listen carefully, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of earth, the earth. Paul has now made it to Rome, the world that was known at the time. This is the capital. This is the place through which the gospel can go to the ends of the earth. And uh, the book of Acts, it's interesting when you look at it, it doesn't really e end well. It doesn't end with a bang. It's sort of open-ended. It doesn't resolve itself. It's like listening to jazz and they're playing all these riffs that are annoying the, you to death and it never resolves into a harmonious chord. And I, you know, water torture and that I can only take for a few minutes. But the book of Acts leaves the door open. Why? Because it's continuing. In church history presently we are still doing what uh, Paul and others were doing in the book of Acts. So hear now the word of the Lord as we look in chapter 28, verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they examined me, they wished to set, set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here have, has reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, 
Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, we do pray today that you would give us the filling of the Spirit, that you would empower both the one who speaks and the one who listens, that you would remove from our hearts the bias, the hardness, the dullness, and give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to the church. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Paul has now been delivered by the centurion Julius to report to the authorities. And uh, when he handed Paul over, no doubt, he made it very clear that this prisoner, Paul, a Roman citizen, posed no risk at all to flight or violence. Therefore, Paul was permitted, as we see later in these verses, to have his own quarters. He, he was able to rent a place in Rome. And there was a minimum security arrangement allowed for him, which enabled him to receive guests freely, and although he remained chained to a Roman soldier, uh, with soldiers daily serving four-hour watches at Paul's side, it is no wonder that Paul could soon report to the whole Praetorian Guard, or that the whole Praetorian Guard, Caesar's personal army, knew that Paul was in chains for Christ. We see that in the letter to the church at Philippi. And so Paul moved around proactively. And he wanted to clear his name with the leaders of the Jewish community in Rome, so he invited them to his lodging to hear the facts of his appeal directly. He had no idea what the Jews in Rome... There were probably between twenty and 50,000 Jews in Rome at this time. And they lived on the other side of the Tiber River. Not in the, they were not wealthy. So they were sort of separated from the heart of Rome. And so Paul wanted to make his connection with them because he had no idea what message had come to them from Jerusalem. And you know that they wanted him dead. And that they trumped up charges against him in every way to uh, get rid of him. But Paul invited them in order that he could talk to them, and he didn't know if the Sanhedrin council had sent letters to uh, enlist their support in prosecuting Paul with the emperor. So he addresses them as brothers, for he gladly, you'll see this about Paul, he remained a Jew and saw in Jesus the fulfillment of the promises in which he had always hoped. You see, Paul considered himself a true Jew because he saw that in Jesus the Messiah had come and had fulfilled and was fulfilling the promises always made that every Jew had ever hoped for. 
he insisted that he had committed no offense either against the people, that is the people of God, or against their customs, or against the Mosaic law uh, that was entrusted to Israel. Although there were accusations all the time made about Paul, uh, particularly in Jerusalem, Paul had come uh, to show clearly that those were rumors and that they were false. And so Paul's abbreviated summary of his arrest in Jerusalem being delivered into the hands of the Romans, of course, omit, omits a lot of details. Um, they interrogated Paul, and the Roman authorities found in him no guilt of any kind of capital pri uh, crime, and they wanted to release him. But the objections from the Jewish leaders prevented them from doing so, just as Pontius Pilate had uh, wanted to release Jesus but did not dare do so. It is probably not um, unintentional that Paul and Jesus are contrasted here and compared as both go uh, to their own ends. Paul to Rome, Jesus of course to the cross. Paul's appeal had been forced by the Sanhedrin Council's relentless pursuit and pressure on the Roman governors of Judea. And so we know all of this, we've, we've been through this, and so Paul goes to the Jewish elders, and uh, they were relieved not only uh, about Paul's legal uh, concerns, but more importantly, opened another door for his life mission to bear witness on the behalf of Jeru uh, Jesus. They had received no communication from Judea, either by letter or in person, about Paul's case, Therefore, their minds were not poisoned against Paul or his message, and although they were aware that Jesus' sect was spoken against throughout the empire, they nevertheless prepared to give Paul's um, an honest hearing, as other Jewish communities had done. They made an appointment to return and to hear the case for Jesus as the fulfillment of Israel's hope and when that day arrived, an even larger group gathered. Paul's stamina overwhelms me. Uh, this man had been beaten within an inch of his life. I don't exactly know how old he is here, but he goes from dawn to dusk preaching to these people. Uh, the man must have had a, a motor, an energy uh, that uh, I'm unfamiliar with. But he, uh, he preached to this particular group and Luke gives us a fundamental sum summary of this sermon, and it's tantalizingly brief, but he expounded to them, this is what Luke says in uh, verse 23 of chapter 28. He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law and the prophets, but it is hugely instructive. Though brief, it is instructive. Paul's message was essentially about, if you boiled it down to its essence, his message was essentially about two things, Jesus and the kingdom of God. Luke is himself preaching to us in this summary saying the burden of Paul's preaching was Jesus. This last statement bears further examination, not in the least because it continues to have such a crucial impact on how the Bible should be proclaimed in our times. First, Paul employed a variety 
of terms for preaching and teaching methods. If you'll look in this verse very carefully, first he expounded and testified and tried to convince or persuade the Jewish hearers. The very use of the word persuade is especially significant. It speaks of Paul's rhetorical skills and powers of assimilating evidence in a very convincing and compelling a fashion at the same time with deep conviction and heart. Elsewhere in Acts, Luke employs this verse to suggest input of high energy and emotional conviction. To be sure, Paul's life was on the line uh, in the uh, charges brought against him, but an evangelistic heart for his brothers, according to the flesh, beats here. Had Paul not written to the church in Rome and said, I could wish I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh, as the apostle reminded the Roman Christians in that letter, it was to the Jews after all that God had given adoption, the glory, the covenants, the law, the worship, and the promises, and the patriarchs. And more significantly still, it was from the line of the Jews that Jesus Christ had come, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Paul longed to see the members of his own race come to know Jesus Christ and embrace him as their own Savior. The Savior or Messiah that had been promised in the Old Testament Scripture. There could be no emotional detachment in this matter for Paul. His heart was totally absorbed in it. He longed with every fiber of his being to see Jews converted to Christianity and embrace the Messiah who had come. Do you have any kind of passion at all like that for witnessing with the gospel as the apostle? Do we have hearts longing for the conversion of our neighbors as Paul had? Paul longed to see his fellow citizens saved and so should we. Go to the average prayer meeting in a church and I'm speaking about the average prayer meeting in an average church uh, whenever you do it. More often than not, that prayer meeting is devoted to, and this is not wrong, so don't get your back up, because you're going to want to, but don't. It's what I call an organ recital. We are praying for kidneys, hearts, livers, whatever, and people get sick, and we're supposed to pray for people who are sick. That's not wrong. That is a good thing, but do we ever pray for the conversion of lost people? Do we ever pray for God's kingdom agenda? Do we spend time pouring out our souls for the brokenness of our world and, and the darkness and the lostness that people have, the craziness we see in, a, in our entire globe? Um, Paul had that passion. And I'm not just pointing to Paul and say, be like Paul, but the reason Paul had that passion was he focused his entire life upon Jesus. Paul employed no other means in his preaching but than the exposition of Scripture. It may seem trite to us to sort of point that out, but it is not always recognized. Paul did not utilize his apostolic gifts, the signs of a true apostle, by working miracles and mighty acts in the presence of the Jews 
uh, as he had done just recently on the island of Malta. Here in Rome, he employs only the scriptures. Church Father Chrysostom said, See again how not by miracles, but by law and prophets, he puts them to silence, and how we always find him doing this. And yet might also he have wrought signs, but then it would be no longer a matter of faith. In fact, this itself was a great sign, his discoursing from the law and the prophets. The power needed to convert an individual from darkness to light lies in the Holy Spirit. He is the efficient and ultimate cause, but the Holy Spirit employs as the means by which conversion is accomplished the faithful and earnest exposition and application of the Word of God. It sickens me sometimes when it doesn't make me sad enough to want to cry to see people leave a church that has a faithful, consistent, expository uh, preaching of the Word of God, focusing upon the uh, church, uh, upon the Lord Jesus Christ, because the other church has better programs. You'll sell your soul for that. Uh, it's just like selling your, uh, what was it, uh, Esau and Jacob. Jacob sold his, uh, uh, swindled Esau out of his birthright. I see this happen so often where people just go, well, I'm not going, even though you preach the Word of God and it blesses me and all that, that's not the number one priority for me. I want to know whether or not what your stance is on this political issue or on that eschatological issue or whether you see uh, the church as this or that. You cannot do without, as a believer, the preaching of God's Word. I mean expository, opening it up and preaching to you the Word itself. You know, people ask me, how do you get up your sermons? I don't get up my sermons. I read the Bible until I understand it. And then I try to read out of it what it's saying and then make application to your life. Uh, the script's already written for me. I don't try to entertain you. Nobody should try to entertain you. Nobody should try to wow you. And something else that needs to be said. Anytime anyone moves from darkness to light, comes from death to life, that is a miracle. If you're here today and you love Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you're a believer, I mean a real, genuine, faithful, repentant believer whose hope is in Jesus and Him alone, who have experienced the peace of God, that is a miracle. Most people don't do that and don't have that. That's for real. Most in our world do not. And so, how does that miracle happen? Well, Paul tells us the Holy Spirit takes the preaching of the Word, the preaching of Christ and Him crucified and resurrected and at the right hand and interceding for us and ultimately coming again for us as that is faithfully preached. That Word has power. It gives you life. It right wakes you from the dead. You and I need that more than we will ever know. And I, I get so frustrated at how people will negotiate away a solid ministry for the dumbest reasons. Sorry. But, but sometimes I just think you've got to say things. Uh, now, 
The third thing that I noticed about Paul here is not only that he expounded the scriptures, but he focused upon Jesus. He preached Christ. As he declared earlier, Jesus is the hope of Israel. What is the purpose of my preaching? To get you to do enough right things so that you can build and accrue enough righteousness so that either God will accept you or bless you. If that's what I'm up here doing, then you need to confront me and say, you know, find another line of work. What I'm trying to do when I preach to you is point you to Jesus. He is who you need. And we try to have a Christless view of sanctification. I remember when I first became a Christian, I said, okay, got that down, going to heaven when I die. Jesus is in my heart. Now, Lord, tell me what to do, and I will do it. You say, well, isn't that the Christian life? No! That is not the Christian life. The Christian life is learning more and more daily how much you need Jesus and turning to Him to be for you what you could never be in yourself. You can no more deliver yourself from your own sin and sanctification than you can save yourself from your own sin and justification. You can't do it. The flesh is too strong. Our hearts are too weak, just as Dave told us during his confession. I enjoyed listening to his confession of sin. You know why I enjoyed it? Because he's talking about me. He is talking about me. I remember one time when I opened up and shared with people, I, I forgot where I was preaching, somewhere in the south. And uh, I was preaching and I just sort of opened up about my struggles. And I didn't really name anything in particular, but I'll never forget this sweet little old lady came up to me after church and she reached and grabbed my hand. She said, what did you do, son? <laughs> I said, well, nothing too exciting. I said, it's what I wanted to do that bothers me, not what I did. That's what bothers me. But we need to hear Christ and Him crucified. We need to hear it. We need to hear it. We need to know it. It needs to be the focus of our lives. Uh, Luke ends his first book, the Gospel of Luke, the way he ends the second part of Acts. In the Gospels, Luke records Jesus' testimony to two disciples who were discouraged and depressed on the Emmaus Road who said they were so after the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You need to hear about Jesus. That's what you need to hear. Otherwise, um, you know, we're wasting time. Might as well be playing golf. Um, so here, the same thing is said. Paul engages uh, uh, all the time that Jesus is the hope of Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises made in the Old Testament scriptures that a Messiah would come. Whatever else the Old Testament may be about, if we fail to see the promise of Jesus, we are missing the heart and core of it all. Jesus is our hope too. It is by faith in Him that we are assured of forgiveness and promised everlasting life. In the face of death, a Christian can confidently declare and say, O oh death, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul not only preached, 
and expounded the Old Testament scriptures. But Paul also preached Christ. But there's something else that he preached. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. He preached the kingdom of God. You see it in two verses here. Paul, in summary ways, gives his preaching and continues that preaching, language that was familiar enough in the Gospels. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. John the Baptist came before him preaching the kingdom of God. And that phrase was not perhaps as common in Jewish circles because there's not a whole lot said about the kingdom of God in the Old Testament other than that God is the great king. But because of the coming of Christ, because of his accomplishing what has happened on the cross, he inaugurated the kingdom of God. That is, he set in motion the powers of the age to come have now perforated or broken into the present time. King Jesus sits upon his throne now, ultimately will return when the new heavens and the new earth are made, and he will rule and reign in his kingdom now, then. That's when the kingdom is consummated. But in the present time, we live in the kingdom of God. He is our king, and we live in submission to our Savior. And we have tasted of the powers of the age to come, which means what? Why in the world do you even care and know who Jesus is? Because God has brought to bear upon your heart by His grace the powers of the age to come. The first one is regeneration. You could never, ever, ever, ever believe in Jesus Christ unless the Holy Spirit regenerates you first. It is always first living, coming to life, and then believing. That's how God saves people. And regeneration can happen at any time, any place, to anybody. You don't have to be uh, at the age of accountability to get regenerated. You can be regenerated from the womb. You can uh, never know a time when you didn't know Jesus Christ. Not everybody has a Damascus Road conversion like Paul. But the powers of the age to come mean that the Holy Spirit regenerates you. But he doesn't only do that. He comes and dwells within you. He penetrates your being. He's living within you. And you're commanded to walk in the Spirit. You're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, you're to be led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the one who shows us the glory, beauty, attractiveness, and suitability of Jesus for the depths of our soul, now dwells in you. That makes you different. <laughs> you are the temple of the living God. It's no longer bricks and stones. It's now your body. Um, microscopically and his body corporately the spirit now indwells us we have our sins forgiven in the old testament the forgiveness of sins was portrayed, uh, portrayed week after week as they offered the sacrifices but when jesus died on the cross one of the seven sayings is what to die. now what is to die? it means it is finished what is finished the work necessary to inaugurate and bring into being the kingdom of God. And so the gifts we receive from God are purchased for us by Christ and the powers of the new. We're not made for this world. We live in the overlap of the two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of His dear Son. Now, 
That's not to say that as a human being who's still sinful, I don't resonate with some of darkness. I do. I wish I didn't. I look forward to the day when there's only one kingdom and I'm in it. But the truth is, that's what Paul preached, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God now is, the kingdom of God is coming, and when it comes, boy, is it going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. It is our hope. It is our sure and certain reason for getting up in the morning. There's nothing else that can speak to the depths of your being like that. And the reason why it's important to you is because of the Holy Spirit's work in you. And His responsibility is to take the things of Christ and to show them to you. And so the preaching was consistent here. And though, even though this uh, summary of what he preached here is relatively um, brief, it, it is, uh, I have books in my library on each topic, like 10 books on each topic, page after page, addressing the expression, the kingdom of God. And so, Christ is the king who has come by way of a promise made in the Old Testament. He's come to rule over his people and destroy his enemies. He will not stop until his enemies have been made footstools on which he may rest his feet. He intends to rule over the nations of the world. And the one who is coming to rule loves me. He's crazy about me. He absolutely adores me. I am the apple of his eye. He's not some distant figurehead, but rather he's a personal Savior and Lord. That's who he is. And so that's why life has any coherence, meaning, or integration at all is because of him. Our witness, our preaching, must draw attention to the sovereign rule of Jesus Christ. On the throne of heaven sits one who walked on this earth and felt the pain and hurt associated with living in this fallen world. I don't know if you've discovered it yet, but this world is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way God made it. It is screwed up, messed up, whatever verb you want to use. It is not right. And, and the more you grow in Jesus, the more you understand and see Jesus and you see yourself in the light of Jesus, the more you understand that not only is it a problem out there, it's also in here. I mean, uh, unbelievers don't get at all what we're about. They think we're people who are trying to be good. And some of us are, and you need to give it up. You ain't ever going to be good <laughs> doing it yourself. But that's what they think. They think that we're, we think we're better than them because we're keeping score and we're doing a little better on the righteousness chart. No, that's not who I am and that's not who we are. My identity is rooted in Jesus Christ. Since I am in union with him, that's the only good thing about me. And the only worthy thing about me is being in union, connected organically to him. And people don't see that. They don't understand that. They think we're winning a self-righteous war. That's what I thought. I remember when I was in college, this was before I was religious but not a Christian. And I remember a guy coming, and he was the biggest nerd on camp, in my opinion. And even after I became a Christian, I struggled with thinking he was a big nerd. But he was, he was, he was kind of goofy, and when he... When he spoke, he flailed his arms all over the place, and he was wild. And his name was Phil. And Phil came to me one day, and he said, Well, hello, young man, in a preacher voice. And I hated that. I hate preacher voices. 
And so he had this big dramatic thing. Hello, young man. And I said, I'm older than you. Shut up. And, and he said, I want to invite you to the Baptist Student Union. I'm going to be speaking there tonight. I'm going to be preaching Jesus. Already know him. Don't need it. Don't want it. Leave me alone. Don't ever say another word to me again. That's what I said. That wasn't very nice, was it? Well, I never told you I was nice. I told, <laughs> I told you that I'm a sinner saved by grace. But that's what I told the guy. And when I was converted at college, in, uh, I actually, a good friend of mine who had been living sort of like I had, uh, found out his draft number was up and he was failing out of the university. He was in panic mode. So it just so happened there happened to be a revival at the Baptist church near the campus. He goes, he comes back, and I hear him one morning. We all lived in a dorm, and there were eight people in our suite. And I hear him get up singing hymns, and I'm thinking, what is the matter with Ben? And so Ben, uh, I, I would hear him whistling, and he was happy, and he was grinning. I said, well, maybe he found a way to get out of the draft. So I went to him, and he said, no. He said, I just went to hear the preaching, and God spoke to me, and I'm, I'm saved. I'm really saved. I said, well, yeah, me too, but what are you, what are you doing? And then he said, Tim, uh, he said, Tim, buddy. I said, well, yeah, you always call me buddy. Tim, buddy, I want you to study with me. He said, I'm flunking out. He said, I know you make good grades. He said, would you be willing to study with me? I said, Ben, I'll study with you. But do not talk about the Bible. Do not talk about Jesus. Do not talk about the revival you just went to. If you promise me that, I'll be happy to sit down and study with you because I don't want to hear about it. Well, we sit down and start studying, and what did he start talking about? Every one of those things. And it was just like in that moment, and my experience means nothing, it's my experience. But in that moment, it was like I was outside of myself saying to myself, you liar. You're the biggest liar in the world because you hear what he's saying and you know that's not you. And so as a result of him talking, I just fell on my knees. And he said, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know. I said, I just feel like I've been a liar all my life. And he said, well, yeah. He said, but, he said, what's going on? I said, well, maybe I need to rededicate my life. That's what Baptists do, used to, where, you know, you just rededicate and try harder. And he said, I don't think that's what's going on. So he started praying for me. I never heard a person pray like that in my life. And he prayed for me. And from that day on, I've never been the same. And it was through that testimony that God used that he radically invaded me <laughs> and made me his own. And I've never gotten over it and hope to never get over it. But that's exactly what happened. And so what Paul is saying here carries huge weight. Now, we need to wrap this up. Uh, Paul preached, and the response to his preaching, few people believed uh, and were convinced. Others downright disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. Some of you have been in church all your life you don't get it yet you just don't get it I was in church for a long time I did not get it I didn't hear it 
He said, you will indeed see, but never really perceive what you're seeing. He says, these people's heart has grown dull. This is from Isaiah's prophecy. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Romans 9 in verse in chapter 11 both speak of God making the Jews jealous through the bringing in and grafting of the Gentiles onto the olive tree representing Israel that there is a hope in my theology there's a hope for conversion of Jews a large-scale conversion of Jews I hope to live to see that I, I would love that but that's what the hope is and so Paul lived there. Now, I, I did want to say this because the book sort of ends um, sort of open-ended. And uh, there's no real resolution here like we would like in any book. And um, what happened to the Apostle Paul? I mean, he spent two years in Rome. I, I'm going to give you my, and don't die for this. <laughs> don't engrave this in stone because you may have to change it. But we do know that the Apostle Paul finished the two years here. My conjecture is he was released, and the reason why is because of the letters to Titus. Paul actually was on Crete after this. Uh, the letters uh, to Timothy, especially the second letter where Paul was anticipating his execution. So I believe he was released. I believe he went back out, tried to go to Spain and preach, ended up on Crete, uh, went back to Ephesus, was arrested again, and uh, he did meet Nero, ultimately. The, there was sort of the good Nero when he was younger, and there was the crazy Nero when he was older, and he met him, and he was decapitated in Rome. That's what I think ultimately happened to him. But he did see Caesar. Now, what a life, what a calling, what a book. And as I said, the book continues. We have no Acts 29 because we're living in Acts 29 and on, and that's where we are. But what a glorious book telling us the power of the gospel. God, uh, Paul wrote it in Romans chapter 1. I am not ashamed. What does he mean by saying I'm not ashamed of the gospel? He means I'm not ashamed to preach it because it's true, but I'm not ashamed in its powerlessness because it doesn't accomplish anything. He's saying I'm not ashamed because it's the power of God. It's the power of God to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Have you heard the good news, seen the good news, understood the good news, Embrace the good news. If you have, then you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And there's only one reason why. Because God brought it to bear upon your soul and he made you alive and placed his spirit within you. If you haven't and you need to talk about it with someone, speak to me or one of the elders. We'll be glad, more than happy, to pray with you and speak with you regarding the state of your soul. But these are eternal matters. So, that said, it's been a glory to be in the book of Acts, and we look forward to what's coming next. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what we see in the book of Acts. It is so encouraging, and we thank you that even today, the Word of God is unleashed and unhindered and not bound. The confidence helps us steal our commitment to the advance by the Spirit's power, the church's mission of proclaiming Christ salvation into the very ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.